will come from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 23 through 25. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God, for all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. I want to welcome all of our visitors this morning. I know there are a lot that are traveling for the holiday this week. We're really thankful that you stopped to worship with us. We wish you well on your journey. Thank you so much for being with us this morning. We're in the midst of a five-part series dealing with the wonderful words of life. We're talking about the Bible, about God's Word. And the question before us this morning is this, can you trust the Bible? Is it reliable? I have become something of a, um, I guess, amateur garage mechanic. I like to do my own work when I can on my cars, and so I've got a couple of jacks in my garage. And I have spent a lot of time watching YouTube videos and reading documents about those jacks because I've gotten to the age where I'm not as young and foolish as I used to be, and I realize that some of those jacks are holding the car up with nothing more than air, compressed air. And I want to know for sure, is this reliable? Can I count on the jack to hold the car up? And I use jack stands for those of you that know what I'm talking about and all those kinds of things. I try to be super safe because I don't want the car coming down while I'm underneath it on top of me. But it's really important to me when I'm under a car that the jack holds the car up and that the jack is reliable, really important for obvious reasons for many other reasons that may not be quite so obvious to you, it is even more important whether this book is reliable. Can you count on it? Can you trust what it says? Because there there are challenges and there are commands and there are promises in this book that if you follow them and if you do them, you're going to live by the world's standards a life that doesn't make much sense. And from an economic perspective, it's, it's not a very wise way to live your life, being generous and giving things away all the time. That's what, a, that's what the Christian life is all about. But from, a, from the world's perspective, the world says just take all, this, all that you can get and hold on to it with both hands and don't let anybody else have it. But the Bible says otherwise. The Bible says whoever would save his life should lose it. And whoever loses his life for the Lord's sake and the gospels will find it. It's completely reverse of the way that everybody else is thinking. And so, the question I have again before us this morning is this, is it reliable? If, if you're going to decide to live your life according to the principles of Scripture, you're going to be different and you're going to make some decisions that are not, not necessarily rational if you're just looking at it without the Bible. But you see, God's Word is rational and it is reliable. And it does make sense when you hear the message that comes from his heart and from his mind to you. And what I'd like for us to do with our study this morning is to give five evidences, five lines, and they're not the only lines of reasoning we could use to talk about the reliability of Scripture. Is this a book upon which you and I can base our life, 
our philosophy of life, our principles and values and precepts, is this book reliable for those things? Far more important than whether or not the jack is gonna hold the car up, will this book and do, do its promises have lasting power? Is it reliable? Five lines of evidence this morning that show, that demonstrate the reliability, the, the, the God-givenness of Scripture. Number one, when you think about the Bible, it is in a class of books that is extraordinarily small in world history. There are only a couple of books that have ever been written that directly make the claim that they come from a God, that a God has written this book. You think about it, how many books do you know of that claim to have been authored by any kind of deity? There are not many. The Bible is one of them, and the Bible makes the claim that it comes from the God, the one true God, the living God, Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. This book makes the claim not just once, but more than 2,500 times. The prophets in the Old Testament often wrote or said, thus says the Lord. The Lord said, God said, God spoke. Those kinds of phrases are found more than 2,500 times. The Bible makes the claim, brothers and sisters and friends, that God is speaking to us in this book. And there are no books that make the claim like the Bible does that many times. Consider a couple of the passages that say these kinds of things. Matthew 4, 4, when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, he said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. The Bible claims that the words that we're reading, when we open up these pages and when we look at the, the words that are there, the Bible says these are God's thoughts. These are God's words. These are God's messages to you and to me. Matthew 22, verse 31, again, Jesus commanded us and tells us and reminds us that the word of God, the commandments of the Lord are what we read in scripture. 2 Timothy 3.16, every divinely given writing is God breathed. All scripture is given by inspiration of God, the passage says. In 2 Peter 1 verse 21, the passage that we, that we think about very frequently no prophecy came by private interpretation. People didn't just sit down in their studies and just write out the things that we find in Scripture on their own. Rather, it says, men of God spoke as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The Bible claims that God inspired men to write the words that we read in this document. 66 books written by more than 40 authors over a period of 1,600 years, all of the words from God himself. When Paul went to Thessalonica and began to preach the gospel to them, he says in 1 Thessalonians 2.13, I'm thankful always that when you heard the message that we gave to you, you didn't receive it as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which works effectively in you who believe. In 1 Corinthians 14.37, Paul again writes, if anyone thinks he's a prophet or spiritual, let him affirm, let him acknowledge that the things I'm writing to you are the commandments of the Lord. The question is, can I trust the Bible? And one of the answers the Bible gives emphatically is over and over and over, 
These are God's words. This is God's message. This is God's will for your life. Over and over and over, the Bible makes that claim. And brethren, it has never been falsified. Nobody has ever, ever been able to come, by, come behind these people that wrote the Bible and say, well, that really didn't come from God and successfully make that case. It claims divine origin. I mean, think about the arrogance of doing that just once. Think about how arrogant it would be for a person to sit down, for you or me, to sit down and type out on our word process or a document and then say, yeah, this, this letter that I've just typed to you, it, come, it comes from God himself. What arrogance. But the Bible more than 2,500 times tells us, God said, God said, God, thus says the Lord. It's divine in its origin and it makes that claim unashamedly, repeatedly. Second line of evidence. When we read the Bible, we find that it is an indestructible document. That is to say that there have been people over the ages that have tried to get rid of the Bible, that have tried to stomp it out, that have tried to ban it, but the Bible abides forever. In Matthew 24, 35, Jesus said, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall never pass away. In John 10, 35, again, Jesus said, the scripture cannot be broken. In 1 Peter 1, 25, that Drew read a few moments ago, the word of the Lord remains or abides forever. God is making promises to us. I've given you my will. I've given you my word and I will preserve it. I will protect it. I will ensure that people have access to it so that they can know and have a relationship with me. Hebrews chapter 8 verses 10 and 11, the way we become Christians. And the reason why this lesson is so important, we become Christians when we take the words of this book and they are written on our hearts and on our minds. Because when you've got God's word written in your heart and your mind, you know God. That's what Hebrews 8, 10 and 11 tell us. We know God when we've got his words and his thoughts written on our hearts and we obey those things. His word remains forever so that we can do that. In Psalm 119, verse 89, the psalmist says, forever, O Lord, your word is fixed in the heavens. And again, that same chapter, verse 160, your righteous rules endure forever. The Bible claims its eternal nature. It claims that it is indestructible. It claims that it will never pass away. Even heaven and earth will pass away, Jesus says, but my words will never pass away. In the days of Jeremiah the prophet, about 600 years or so before the Lord came to this world, 600 or so BC, Jeremiah was writing documents. He was writing letters to the king and to the Israelites. And these letters, Jeremiah said, came from God. And the Bible tells us in Jeremiah 36, verse 23, that they took the scroll that Jeremiah had written and they read it to the king. And listen to this, Jeremiah 36, 23. It says, Jehudai read three or four columns of the scroll that Jeremiah had written. And as he did that, the king would come along and with a knife, he would cut those, those, those verses off and he would throw them into the fire. The king didn't like what God was saying to him through Jeremiah. He didn't like the words that he was hearing. And so he just took his knife, cut the scroll, threw the part that he didn't like in the fire. You know, there are a lot of people that try to do that in their lives. I wanna take the verses that I think are good and I think mean something to me and I'm gonna reject the rest of them. You can't do that with God's word. This king tried to do that. And so he would throw these 
these, uh, the, these words that he didn't like into the fire pot, according to Jeremiah 36, verse 23. And then later in that chapter, it says in verse 32, Jeremiah took another scroll and gave it to Baruch the scribe, the son of Neriah. And the scripture says he wrote it on it, the dictation of Jeremiah, all the words of the scroll that Jehoiakim, king of Judah, had burned in the fire. Notice that. Even when the king sliced up the scroll and threw it in the fire, God made sure that Jeremiah rewrote those words exactly as they had been before. And then it says the last sentence, and many similar words were added to them. What's the principle? It's the principle of the indestructibility of God's word. Kings and emperors and princes and philosophers and all kinds of people have tried to get rid of the Bible throughout history, to get rid of scripture throughout history. And the Bible tells us, it emphasizes, this book is indestructible in the sense that it's never going to pass out of existence because it's God's mind, it's God's word to you and me. It's his message for our lives and he will preserve it. There was a French philosopher, maybe some of you recognize the name, his name was Voltaire, lived during the years of the French Revolution. Voltaire hated the Bible. He spent a lot of ink, spilled a lot of ink, trying to discredit the Bible. And he said this, Voltaire did. He said, 100 years from my day, that would be the late 1800s now, 100 years from my day, there will not be a Bible in the earth except one that is looked upon by an antiquarian curiosity seeker. The Bible is out of fashion, he said, and people are going to lose interest in it soon. One of the founding fathers of this country, Thomas Paine, maybe you didn't know this about him. He said this, in five years from now, there will not be a Bible in America. I have gone through the Bible, he says, with an ax and cut down all its trees. Thomas Paine wrote some very, very irreverent and blasphemous things about the Bible. He was convinced that human reason could give all the answers we needed and that the Bible was just made up by men and that it wasn't really divine in its origin. He believed those things and he said, five years tops, the Bible's gonna be gone. The Bible though remains, it abides, doesn't it? It is the best-selling book in all of history and it's not even close. God wants people to hear his word and in his providence and in his loving care and in his concern for you and me and the people in this world, God makes sure that his word is available. And isn't it amazing that we live in an age when even if you don't have a paper copy with just a couple of clicks on your cell phone or device, you can download a copy of the Bible in just about any version you want, in just about any language that you want. Think about the privilege of the times in which we live. There were people that were burned at the stake for trying to give the Bible to the common man. And you and I can download it in just a second or two. It's an amazing time in which we live. To those whom much has been given, much will be required, the Bible tells us. Next, the impartiality of the Bible. When we ask, is it reliable? You know, a lot of the ancient documents that you read and some of the ones that claim to be from a deity, they are very, very, um, they are very twisted in favor of their heroes, almost in mythologizing them and making them look much better than they ever could have been. Not the Bible though. 
When the Bible talks about people, the Bible is as plain and as realistic as it can be. When the Bible talks about human nature, the Bible is as blunt and as honest as it can be. And when the Bible talks about what's right and what's wrong, the Bible does not make decisions about people in the sense that we're showing favoritism to this person over here, but not that person over there. Over and over and over, the Bible emphasizes the impartiality of God. He is no respecter of persons, Acts 10 verse 34. In any culture, in any society, whoever desires to fear him and have a covenant relationship with him can do so. Again, Galatians 3 verse 28, this was wildly progressive thinking for the time in which it was written. In Christ, there is neither slave nor free. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither male nor female. We are one in Christ Jesus. There was no other religion that was doing that in in the time when Galatians was written. Again, when we think about impartiality, Genesis 13, Abraham or Abram at that time, the man who was given the promise by God, first thing he does is go down to Egypt and start lying about his wife, not being his wife. The Bible presents its heroes to us, but it presents them as human beings with feet of clay because that's what we are. We sin against God, we all have faults, and even the people that are held in high esteem in scripture are shown to be just people. 2 Samuel uh, chapters 11 and 12, David and his sin with Bathsheba. David was considered widely to be the greatest of the Hebrew kings. And yet the Bible describes the terrible events of what happened when he took a woman who was not his wife and then had her husband murdered and then tried to cover it all up. In John 20 verse 30, I love how John writes at the end of the gospel of John, There are many other things that Jesus did, many other miracles he did in the presence of his disciples, but these are written so that you may know that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and believing have life on his name. John 20 verse 30 is saying, the Bible has not tried to give you everything it could. Rather, it is giving you what you need to know Jesus, to have a relationship with God and to have life in him. It's a mark of inspiration. It's a mark of reliability. The Bible truly does come from the God of heaven. Line of evidence number four this morning. How about the accuracy of the prophecies in the, in the Bible? If you got your Bible, open to Deuteronomy 18 and look at verse 22. Deuteronomy 18, verse 22. In the book of Isaiah, God speaks to the people that were worshiping idols. And in Isaiah 41, verse 22, he says, look, if your idols are all that worthwhile, if they're real, he said, bring your idols to me. And and have your idols, Isaiah 41, have them tell us what is to happen. Tell us the former things, what they are, that we may consider them, that we may know their outcome or declare to us the things to come. In other words, God is mocking the idols and he's saying, you guys are making these idols with your hands and you think they're going to tell you something. You think they're going to prophesy about your future, but they can't do that. Now look, if you would, at Deuteronomy 18, verse 22, and listen to what the prophet says. When a prophet speaks, Deuteronomy 18.22, Deuteronomy 18.22, when a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. The Bible builds in this challenge. It says, if you're going to try to base your life on something, base your life on the books, on the ideas, on the concepts that are true prophetically. But if somebody comes along and says that something's going to happen and then it doesn't come to pass, that's not a prophet. Don't listen to him anymore. Don't be afraid of him anymore. 
And over and over and over, the Bible gives prophecy after prophecy after prophecy of things concerning Jesus, of things concerning the the coming of the New Testament church, things concerning the end of time. The Bible gives prophecies. There are over 300 Old Testament prophecies about Jesus and his, his life and his ministry and his crucifixion alone in the Old Testament. For example, Psalm 22 was written about a crucifixion and it was written a thousand years before the crucifixion of Jesus ever took place. And get this, Psalm 22 was written before anybody in this world had ever even seen a crucifixion. Crucifixion had not even been invented yet. And there it is talking about how Jesus is going to die on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me is how that begins. KJ read it in our scripture reading this morning at the Lord's Supper, Psalm 22, verse 1. In Isaiah 53, the Bible talks about Jesus, the suffering servant, and how he was going to be like a lamb before its shearers is silent. He was going to be silent and not open his mouth. And how the Lord was going to lay upon him the iniquity of us all. And all those things come to pass. The fact that Jesus was, was, was crucified with thieves, but he was in a grave with the rich, with the wealthy. All those things being prophesied in Isaiah 53. In Micah 5 verse 2, the Bible calls out the name of Bethlehem and it tells the name of the place where the Messiah was going to be born. You know, you can't even tell if you're of childbearing age, you can't even tell where your children are going to be born. You kind of think, okay, well, we've got an appointment with this hospital or that hospital, but you don't know. And God, uh, 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 centuries before Jesus came to this wor- world, centuries early, God calls the name of the village, the town. It's a little out of the way place called Bethlehem. It says, that's where my son's going to be born. In Daniel 2 verse 44, the writer talks about how in the days of the Roman kings, God's going to establish a kingdom which will never be destroyed. It shall stand forever, Daniel 2 verse 44. All through the Old Testament and all in the New Testament, you find these prophecies that are given by God and they all come true. They are all fulfilled. Can I trust the Bible? Is it reliable? Is it something that I can and should base my life on? Absolutely. Next, as we think about the reliability of Scripture, not just the accuracy of prophecies, but the practical effects, what does the Bible do when people determine that they're going to obey it? And I'm not just talking about, listen to me now, I'm not talking about half-hearted, milquetoast kind of Christian living. I'm not talking about people that kind of walk up to the Bible like a cafeteria and they say, I want to do a little bit of that, but I'm not going to do these other things over here. I'm talking about somebody who determines that they're going to love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. What are the practical effects that this book will have in our lives? Jesus says in John 7 verse 17, listen to this. No, better yet, open your Bibles to that passage. John 7 verse 17, some verses we just need to look at with our own eyes. In John 7 verse 17, Jesus is talking to the people at the feast and he says, John 7 verse 17, if anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. But think about what that means. Jesus says, if you do what I say, 
If you take my words and put them into practice in your life, you will know, you will understand that this is from God. (coughs) It's not the only line of reasoning. It's not the only way that we know that the Bible comes from God, that it's reliable. But the thing is, when you sell out, when you decide with your life that I'm gonna give it all to Jesus and I'm gonna do God's will from the heart sincerely, is the Bible reliable? Jesus says, you'll know, you'll have that assurance. Notice this in Luke chapter 11, verse 28, again, just turn back in the passage to there. In Luke chapter 11, verse 28, in your Bible, the practical effects are important. They are something that we need to think about. In Luke 11, verse 28, it changes the way we live and it changes the way we think. Jesus says, blessed are those, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. When people listen to the Bible and then do what it says, there are blessings that come to our lives. It doesn't make your life easy necessarily. It doesn't mean that your way is always smooth and that there aren't really difficult, heart-wrenching things that happen to us in life. But blessed are those who hear God's word and do it. The practical effects in our lives reveal and show that God's word is reliable. In Matthew 5, 43 through 48, think about this as an ethic for how you live your life. It's easy to love the people that love you and think like you and look like you and come from the place you come from. It's easy to love those people, but Jesus said you love your enemies too. After all, if you only love the people that look like you or think like you or, or, or um, are, are, are going the same direction you're going, if you only love those people, what makes you different? But as a child of God, as a Christian, blessed are those who pray for their enemies and bless those who do evil. Matthew 22, 37 through 39, the two great commandments are about love, aren't they? We sing the song frequently, love one another. And not only that, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Those are the two great commandments. On those two commandments hang all the law and prophets, and that'll change your life. Romans 12, 17 through 21, be at peace with all men. As much as is in you, as much as you are able, try to live peaceably with others. Don't go around trying to cause a stir. Don't go around trying to stir the pot all the time. That's not what a Christian does. A Christian tries to live at peace and to show and display the glory of God in his or her life every day. And when there are enemies and when there are insults and when there are injuries, God says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. The practical effects of living for Jesus. When you really decide that this is what you're all about, and this is how you're going to determine to make decisions and how you're going to determine to live your life, when you decide those things, it demonstrates the reliability of Scripture. It's not just one book among many. It is the book. Give me the Bible, we sang a few moments ago. Hold up that splendor by the open grave. Think about all that the Bible brings to us and think about all the blessings that come from it. Acts 20 verse 32 tells us that the Bible is the word of God's grace. God wants to bless your life. God wants to enrich your life. God wants to bring grace to your life. And one of the many ways in which that happens is when we open and read and then resolve to obey the words of Scripture. Is the Bible reliable? We've just looked at five lines of evidence. There are many, many more that we could search. 
to answer that question in the affirmative. What about you? On what, on what philosophy or idea are you living your life? What kinds of principles and values are you using to make decisions? The Bible is reliable. The Bible is steadfast. The Bible is eternal. The Bible is God-breathed. And maybe you've been thinking about having a relationship with God and what that entails. The way that a person comes to Christ according to the Bible, not our thoughts, not our philosophies, this is the Bible. A person must believe in Jesus Christ, John 8, 24. Unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. A person must confess that Jesus Christ is God's son. We say it with our mouths and we say it with our hearts, Romans chapter 10, verses nine and 10. With, confession, with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. We are to repent, to change our minds about sin, to change our minds about the way we've been living our lives because we wanna live God's way. Repent, Acts chapter two, verse 38. And the Bible tells us to be baptized. It tells us that when we are immersed in water, we are being buried with Christ and we are being raised to walk in newness of life with Christ. Romans chapter six, verses three through six. That's how somebody becomes a Christian. If you need to do that this morning, we're happy to help you. We'd love to study with you if you have questions about that. Maybe you need to respond and ask for prayer. Heaven's invitation is yours. Won't you make your way down the aisle while together we stand and while we sing.